we are here this evening to hear from you, Lord. And as you opened the skies today to physically rain upon our area around us, the Surprise and Phoenix area, Lord, we ask that you do open the floodgates of heaven and rain your spirit upon us this evening. Lord, I pray that we would be open vessels to you, that our hearts would be fertile ground for what you would have for us. Lord, as, as we gather here in the middle of our weeks, the, the busyness that goes on with work and, and life that goes on, Lord, it's, it's so refreshing to take this time to just to stop and to, 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 to bathe in your word and to hear from you, Lord. I pray that you just move powerfully amongst us tonight, Lord, that your, works, your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, greet those around you this evening and get your Bibles out. Okay, well before, you can go, while you're getting your Bibles out, I have a quick announcement to make. Uh, a lot of you are here not only for our Bible study on Wednesday nights, but because your kids are in Awana, so you probably already know about this, but um, for those of you who aren't, we do have the Awana Grand Prix coming up, which is an annual event. Kids make these really cool, if you remember, soapbox derby type of things or whatever, the, these cars, and we have a big racetrack built up, and it's a great day, it's a fun day, um, and that's coming up here really soon, and as you leave tonight out on the events table out there, there's a, a display set up, we need some help with some things to be donated, soda and chips and that type of stuff for the event, so if you just stop by there on your way out, and if you're so inclined, if you would grab one of the things that's there and uh, uh, bring that back on the date scheduled, but just an announcement for you on the way out. So, all right, Genesis chapter 28, Genesis 28. We left off last time, if you remember, going through Genesis chapter 27, story familiar to most of us, if not all of us, where Jacob pretended to be his brother Esau in order to receive the blessing that God said was his to receive, and we talked about that as a, uh, in our study last time, and we're going to pick up where we left off, Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. It says, so Isaac... Jacob's father called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And now he gives an additional blessing to Jacob. Isaac says, may God almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing, of, the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Here what we see 
laid out for us is, again, remember last time, Isaac had the desire to give the blessing to his oldest son Esau, even though he knew God said the blessing was to go to Jacob. And when he, was, he ended up giving the blessing to Jacob, unbeknownst to him, finds out later that he had been tricked by his wife and Jacob to do this, and then said, Basically, I don't have any blessing left for you, Esau, when, his, when Esau came to him. But I want you to notice something in this. As when I'm reading through this today, it, just, it seemed to just jump right onto the page. And I've, I've read this I don't know how many times. But notice the blessing that we just read. Verse 4 says, May he also give you the blessing of Abraham and to your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojourning, which God gave to Abraham. Remember the whole point of last week. Why Jacob was, did what he did was to make sure that the blessing didn't go to Esau. Isaac thought he was giving this blessing to Esau, remember? But look at the blessing that he, talked to, that he gave to Jacob, thinking it was given to Esau. If you'll turn back to verse 28 of chapter 27, it says, Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be the one who curses you and blessed be the one who blesses you. He doesn't mention the blessing of Abraham. He doesn't mention the, the, the blessing that they were trying to make sure got to Jacob. So they went through all of this. Isaac was meaning to pass this along, but God, I see this as we look at chapter 28, God prevented that from happening to begin with. God is in complete control of what is going on. Look back, if you would, just even one more chapter, chapter 26, verse 3. We see the blessing that was given to Isaac. Sojourn in this land, and God speaking to Isaac, and I will bless you, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I'm going to give you that oath. This is coming to you. It's going to be passed through you, Isaac. And when Isaac, again, meant to bless Esau, he didn't pass this along. I just see this, and it, it says to me again, here they're going through all of these man-made ideas and jumping through all of these hoops, and there's going to be some repercussions that come from all of this, yet God, in his sovereignty, said that wasn't ever going to happen anyway. The whole thing was in my control and in my hand, and here it comes to Jacob, just like I said it was going to. Amazing. Well, as we move on, we know that we talked about last time that Esau is extremely upset. He says he's going to kill his brother Jacob as soon as the father Isaac dies. So they're making these plans to send him away. Also, we see in the first part of chapter 28 that we just read, Isaac now coming full circle and again, now going back with the Lord and saying, you know what? I can't, I can't have my, sons, my, my one son that's left marry the women from around here. So I'm going to send him away to get a, get, get a wife from... Um, from Rebekah's family. So he says in verse 5, it tells us, Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take for himself a wife from there, and that he, when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from your, the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. He knew this. 
He knew this from before. Remember last week we talked about this. It, it was no secret to Esau, but now he's seeing. This is all starting to cave in on him. All of the decisions that he's making. So he's trying to, a last-ditch effort here. It says, then verse 9, And Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wife he had already had, Mahanaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. He's adding insult to injury. Again, now as we remember, Ishmael is the son, not of promise, of the flesh. He goes there to try to make things better, only adding more problems on top of it. Well, that's the last we're going to hear from Esau for a while. We focus on the life of Jacob now, starting in verse 10. It says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So he leaves his, his, his mother and his father, and he goes to the place where they have sent him to go and find a wife, and he leaves with nothing. He goes, and he's sojourning to this place by himself, and he's probably a couple of days' journey away at this point. Evening's coming. He lays down. He's all alone. He's by himself. He's got to feel like the whole, the whole world is set up against him at this point. He's, he, he went from having everything at home, riches, never having to worry about anything, to now on his own, set off on this journey. Not really, he knows the general direction he's going, but it's not like, again, he had a map or a GPS. He's, he's heading a direction. And it says that he lays down here and he has this incredible dream that God shows him. And while we look at this, we see that while he felt that he was alone, facing an impossible situation, again, maybe the whole world stacked up against him, all of the situation, everything seemed to be going so well, now seems to be totally turned upside down against him. He sees this dream that God gives him, and he realizes, hey, there's something a whole lot bigger than me going on. And I want to pause there for a second, because we can all get into those situations. We can all get into that and, and think, man, Everything is stacked up against me. I'm all alone in this battle. I'm facing an impossible situation. And God would have us know that, no, you're not. You're not alone in this thing. What he sees here is this incredible vision that God gives him of a, of a staircase, if you would, or a ladder reaching from, from earth up to heaven. And it says that angels ascending and descending to the throne. Meaning that the angels aren't in heaven they go there and they get there and they come down and they minister here on earth and they go back. There's a story told in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha continues to get word from the Lord about his enemies. And he's, he's, he keeps the Israelites always one step ahead of the enemies. And the king says, man, what is going on? And they said, well, it's Elisha. He, he knows everything. He, he, knows, he gets it ahead and the king says, we got to get rid of this Elisha character. So he sends all of his troops, and they surround the city that Elisha is in. They wake up the next morning, and Elisha's servant looks out, and he says, we're doomed. We're, we're toast. Look at all of the people out here. Look at our enemies. They've surrounded the city. And Elisha just you know, yawns and stretches. And he's like, hey, no big deal. Don't worry. And he goes, what do you, look. And Elisha prays, and he says, God, open his eyes and let him see just for a moment. And it tells us that this, the, the Lord basically peeled it back and the servant was able to see and the countless number of angels with their horses and chariots all surrounding, the, all surrounding them. 
far outnumbering the enemy. And then it tells us that, uh, that he, he caused also blindness to co- come upon the enemy. and also, No problem. <laughs> he who is with us far outnumbers he who is against us. He who is within us is far greater than the one that is against us. Now, we can look at stories like this and say, you know, angels, yeah. Really? Yeah, really. And I think part of the problem that we struggle so much in what we're doing is we go along like the servant, not believing it, not buying into it. Saying, yeah, that's a great story, but real. They believed it so much in the New Testament. If you remember, we've used the, the story before where, where Peter gets out of prison. He's, he's being killed. He's supposed to be executed the next day. They're having a prayer meeting to have Peter released from prison. And they're having this prayer meeting, and, and an angel comes and takes Peter out of prison, walking him down the street, and then he leaves him. So Peter goes to where they're having the prayer meeting. He's banging on the outside door, and a girl comes to answer the door, and he says, hey, it's me, Peter. And she gets so excited, she runs in and leaves him outside, runs in to tell, to tell the people, hey, it's Peter. Peter's at the door, and they're like, Shh, we're praying, we're praying. Lord, please release Peter. Get him out. <laughs> no, Peter's at the door. They're, Stop. It's probably just his angel. Lord, please, get Peter. I mean, they believed in it so much they didn't think it was even possible Peter could be at the door. It's probably his angel. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who was a member of a SWAT team in, in California. And he, uh, he, was, he was just new, new onto the, the SWAT team. And they were responding to a, a man who was very armed and dangerous, who had killed a police officer. And they had him cornered in a, in a bar. They knew that they had a tip that he was in this bar. So he was sent around one side of the building, and there were two other officers sent around the other side of the building. And then they stormed the front. As he's running around, the man runs out of the back of the bar, runs his direction, weapon drawn, points it right at my friend. My friend's running around, and he's got his weapon down, but not ready to shoot. The guy has it pointed right at my friend. He's already killed a police officer. Drops the gun, drops down on the ground. The two other police officers now come around from behind and cuff him on the ground, and my buddy's just standing there frozen. And when they interviewed him later, he said, what, I was outnumbered five to one. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels minister to us. They are ministering agents for us as believers. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 22 tells us they're innumerable. There, there, there are a lot of angels against us. There are, there are fallen angels that want to destroy us. But gang, they're outnumbered two to one. A third of them fell. Two-thirds of them didn't. They're here for us. They're ministering servants for us. And when we are in these situations, when we feel alone, like, again, Jacob had to feel alone. He was all alone in the middle of nowhere. He didn't have anything with him. God blessed him with this. And when we, when we are in that situation, we can hold on to that knowledge, too, knowing him. Well, we get going further with this. And by the way, John, in John chapter 1, we're told Jesus speaking to Nathaniel. You want to read the story later, John chapter 1, the end, and John 1, 51, he reveals, I am the latter. I am the one that is the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is the only way. He says, you will see greater things than these, speaking to Nathaniel. You'll see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man, meaning himself. Hmm, the fulfillment of it. 
Well, moving forward, verse 13. And behold, the Lord speaks now to Jacob in this dream. And he says, and the Lord stood above him and said, how dare you think that you can come to me after what you pulled? Well, that again isn't our God. He says, the Lord stood above him and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke, awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What an amazing, again, promise. God reiterates the promise. This is coming through you. Your, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All of this land I'm giving to you and to your descendants. I will bless you. I will be with you. I read these, these blessings. How would you like to, God to say this, speaking to you personally? I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. How would you like God to promise that to you? Well, if you want to hear those promises, take out a pen and paper because I'm going to give them to you. He has promised those to you. Matthew 28, 20. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. Just what he promised, I am with you. Hebrews 13, 5. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you. I will keep you wherever you go. John 14, 2. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He says, I will, I will bring you back to the land. I'm, I, I went to, I'm, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back for you. In Ephesians 2.10, now Paul is writing this to the believers, but this is what in essence God is saying to us through Ephesians 2.10, you are my workmanship created in my son for good works. I have prepared these things beforehand so that you will walk in them. That is a promise. That's God speaking to us as believers. Just as he spoke here, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. We have those same promises. Hebrews 8.28, know this. I'm working all things together for good. For those who love me and are called according to my purposes, I'm working it all together for good. For your good and for my glory, God says. How can we have any other reaction than, than Jacob had here? I mean, I, I love this in verse 17. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? Yeah, yeah. And how awesome is this place that we are in? Not the physical location. Because I don't believe that that's all that he meant. I don't believe that, they, although he puts a rock and pours oil over that, I think that what he, what he really meant as a part of that and what we need to grab a hold of is how awesome is this place when we are in the will of God. 
He had to realize then and there because of the promises he had just received from God. No matter how bad I've messed it up to this point, I'm in the will of God. He's with me. He's not going to leave me. He's going to make sure that what my path ahead of me is secure. How awesome is this place? Now, it, it says that he was afraid. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We, we, we need to have the, a reverent fear of God and understanding this, how powerful and awesome he is. But again, when we are there, how great it is to be there. And when we trust and obey God and his will for us, we really have nothing to fear. Nothing can separate us from his love. There is no condemnation for us. What do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Mm. I love this whole picture as we look through this. The, 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 the dream that was given to him. The angels ascending and descending. God at the top commanding the angels. God's active involvement in what is going on here in the world and in our lives personally. Mm. Well, verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. However, previously, the name of the city had been Luz. Now, I got to think that the people that were a part of that city were pretty happy that he changed the name of the city. Because before that, they were losers, right? <laughs> ah, all right, well, okay. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of the, that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, a lot of people look at this, again, it, with the mindset that they have set on Jacob. And we've talked about this, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks. There's kind of this preconceived notion about Jacob, that he's a swindler, that he's a schemer, that he's, you know, he's kind of this underhanded guy. And they read this verse and say, all right, God, if you, think, if you say you're going to do all this stuff, we'll see. If you come through, I'll give you 10%. I don't read that. Again, after what we just talked about, after the amazing thing that Jacob just had and how I, I, I've totally changed my view on Jacob as I've gone through this study again, that Jacob is saying, God, if you're going to do all of that for me, <laughs> I, I, I worship you. I, I, give, I, I give you everything. It's all yours anyway. I have nothing. You're going to bless me? You're going to do all of this? Oh, man, you are my God. And I will gladly give you a tenth of what I have. I'll gladly give you a tithe. It's not an if you'll do it. It's a since you're going to do it, since you promised to give me all of this. It's an act of worship. I believe from a cheerful and grateful heart, not from a side, around the side, getting what I can get most out of this thing kind of heart. And notice, it wasn't to get something because God had already promised it. God's promises were unconditional. If Going back and you look through what we just read, there were no conditions placed on this. God didn't say, if you do this, I'll do this. God said, I will do this. 
So Jacob had nothing to gain. It was unconditional. Hmm. Well, chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. Now, this, is, this journey takes several more days, if not weeks, to get to where he was, the distance that he had to travel. But again, he woke up, and I just imagine that he's got a totally new spring in his step, a totally new at, attitude and outlook as to what's ahead of him. And again, I really hope that if you are in a tough spot right now, if you're going through a difficulty, if you're going through a really tough time and you're wondering, how am I going to get through all of this? And you wake up in the morning and days are a drudgery. That you go back through the promises that we just talked about that God has made to you and you go out tomorrow with a new spring in your step, with an excitement, with an anticipation as to what is coming. Jacob didn't know what the next day or days were going to bring. He knew that God did, and he knew what God had promised him. And I think he was every day, couldn't wait to see what was coming up next. And we don't know, again, doesn't tell us how many days, but verse 2 tells us after that time, verse 2 says, He looked up and saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were laying beside it. For from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When, the, when all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, the sh shepherds that were there with their sheep, he said, my brothers, where are you from? Again, he doesn't have a GPS. He doesn't have a map. There wasn't a sign out front that said, you're entering Haran. It, he was just walking through there. Comes up to this well, says, hey, guys, where are you from? He says, we're from Haran. Huh, go figure. Verse 5, he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. <laughs> Small world. Verse 6, and he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well with him. And hey, look, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with sheep. You don't say. <laughs> Why? Look at this. Just, uh, uh, just uh, uh, pure coincidence, right? Now we see again the providential hand of God. Verse, we look back, verse 15, God said, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the sun. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. I'm going to take care of this. He's moving out in that promise. He's, he's like I said, I got to think that he was half expecting everything to happen that way. And again, I, I, I challenge you as I challenge myself going through this. These promises that have been made to us do you go through your day expecting to be blessed because of God's promises to you? Or do you go through <laughs> surprised when, you, when something happens? Blown away when, God, when, God, when something happens. Again, we don't expect things to move forward because we earn them or deserve them. We go forward and expect it because God is that good. And he loves us that much. He said, verse 7, Behold, it is still high day. It is, it, or, it is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go to pasture them. Because here, here's, here's this, this gal coming, right? So he's basically telling the guys, hey, get out of here. Scram. <laughs> Move on. I want to I talk to her by myself. Go. Verse 8, they said, but we cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they rolled a stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother, 
mother's brother. Jacob went and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now again, remember, we talked about this last week. Jacob's not 26 years old. He's 77. And there's this stone that's so big that these four other shepherds can't move it. Well, or they're just too lazy to move it. Well, here's Jacob, and here's, here's these guys, and here comes Rachel, and he goes, he just, you know, hops up, grabs a hold of the, out of the way, boys, rolls the stone away. How you doing, ma'am? <laughs> Says that he watered the sheep then, gave water for them. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that and he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. I, just, I think it's kind of funny, the order of those verses, 11 and 12. He kissed her first and then told her. <laughs> I got to think Rachel's like, hey, dude. You know, who? Anyway, he's so excited he can't, he can't help himself. He just sees what God is doing. Verse 13, so Rebecca, or Rachel, I'm sorry, runs back, tells her, her dad Laban that uh, Rebecca's son Jacob is here. And so he, verse 13 says, so then... When Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, surely you are, bone of, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? <laughs> After a month, he says that. Tell me. What shall your wages be? Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what Leah's eyes were weak mean. It could be that she didn't see well. It could mean that her eyes were pale in color as opposed to the dark, beautiful eyes that Rachel had. It, a lot of different things. We really don't know what it means, but it's pretty obvious what Rachel's description means. She was beautiful. And verse 18 says, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. No confusion here whatsoever. Your younger daughter, Rachel. Verse 19, Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. Agree to the, he agrees to the deal. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. And all the women said, aww, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you, when, you, when you read of this. So Jacob served for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him to be but a few days. Seven years. Fell in love with her. Worked seven years for her. What's the one word that pops right out? Well, yeah, wow, yeah. <laughs> Patient, patience, seven years. What does is, what is 1 Corinthians 13 give us as the first description of love? Love is patient. Love is patient. I say this to any... Well, anybody who has son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, but especially those of you who have daughters and granddaughters, they need to understand this, that love is patient. Because chances are they're going to meet some 
punk kid someday <laughs> who is going to try to convince them otherwise. I know because I was a punk kid one time. <laughs> and I have a daughter <laughs> who's 13. I, I, I came across this today. And believe me, my daughter's going to know this. Love gives, lust takes. Love waits, lust won't. Love is patient, lust is pressure. Lust says now, love says no. Love is patient. Our daughters need to hear that. Our granddaughters need to hear that. Well, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is complete, that I may go into her. Seven years have passed. Time to pay up, Laban. I want my wife. I've been patient long enough. Verse 22. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Going to throw a big wedding celebration. Verse 23. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him. And Jacob went into her. Understand, how, how, how could this possibly happen? Well, Back then, as was the custom, the groom didn't see the bride for many days beforehand, but she, she was covered in a veil, complete from head to foot. I mean, she was completely covered, so he couldn't, he couldn't see that. And by the time the festivities were all over and they went into the wedding chambers, it was probably d dark and in the evening, so he was fully, completely convinced that he was with Rachel. Now to verse 24, says, Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Verse 26, But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. You just remembered that now? <laughs> Notice, though, and I have this circled here, verse 26, firstborn. It almost had to hit him like a ton of bricks when Laban said that. The irony of the firstborn coming into play in this deception, this trickery. Remember verse 27 or chapter 27? It had to just, it had to just totally hit him like a truck. And the, the fact that he was probably trying to justify it all in his head, yeah, but the ends justified the means in my case. But Laban might be thinking the same thing as he's going through this. Verse 27, Laban continues, it's not our practice to place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week with this one, meaning Leah, and I will give you the other also, Rachel, for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. So, Complete your marriage week with Leah, the older daughter. I'll give you Rachel as well. You can, you'll be married to her. And then serve me for an additional seven years for her. I, had, uh, I came across this. The David Gutzik, who's a Calvary Chapel pastor, had this as a comment on this. The next seven years, verse 27, were the postgraduate work in the School of Hard Knocks for Jacob. And he got a major in Galatians 6-7, which says... Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he also will reap. So, Jacob, it says, verse 28, 
did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. So here we have the, now he's married. He's, one week, he's, he's not married. Two weeks later, he's got two wives. Still seven years to work to pay off the second one. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. A couple of things on this that, again, I find amazing when you, when you think of Jacob, the integrity of Jacob. If I'm thinking J- Jacob, deceiver, conniver, all of this sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, Laban, yeah, okay, that's how we play this? Right, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll work for you for another seven years. Seven days later, I'm gone, both my wives. See ya. But that's not Jacob. He agreed to work the seven years. Even though he'd been deceived and lied to by Laban, he works out the seven years that he agreed to. But also we see in here, too, that God's correction of Jacob, if that was part of what was going on here, and I believe it was, And God's continuation of the promises that he has. Don't excuse Laban from his corruption. He still is, he's going to pay for this and he's going to have repercussions for this as well. He's thinking he's getting away with this scot-free, but there's going to be a lot of problems that come down the road for that. One other thing too that a lot of people say that, you know, well, it's in the Bible, polygamy, look, he Jacob marries two wives. We're going to find out he ends up with four, basically. Just because it's in here doesn't mean God approves of it. God never says anywhere that he approves of this whole situation. Yes, it happened. Yes, they were blessed in it. They had the, the, all of the sons, the tri- 12 tribes of Israel are going to come out of this polygamous relationship. But that does not mean God condones it and blesses it, that he's, all, he, that he's in agreement with it. If you'll remember, when we were way back in the beginning, God said, the two shall become one flesh. Not the three or the four or the five, the two. That's God's design for marriage, and it always has been. One man, one woman, marriage. So don't let anybody ever try to convince you otherwise and point to Scripture and say, well, it's in the Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible that God, that's in there. This is history. This really happened. This is the way it all went down. But God doesn't necessarily agree with everything. God doesn't condone or give his stamp of approval for it just because it's here. Now, verse 31, it says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Literally, that means that she was hated. And he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And here we see one of the first devastating consequences of this polygamous relationship. You cannot love two. You can only love one. Your heart can only be totally devoted to one. Jesus said that when he was talking about masters. You can't even serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will will serve one. You'll despise the other. And we see that playing out here. Because of Jacob's love for Rachel, there was a natural unlove towards Leah. God saw that, opened her womb. Leah conceived, verse 32, and bore a son and named him Reuben, which means behold, a son. For she said, because the Lord has seen my afflictions, surely now my husband will love me. I've given him a son. He's going to love me now. But he didn't. That didn't change anything. 
Verse 33 says, Then she conceived again and bore a son, and because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he shall therefore give me this son. So she named him Simeon, which means hearing. Didn't work again. That didn't bring him, bring her the love of her husband. Verse 34 says, She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named him Levi, which means attachment. Verse 35, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah, which means praise. Then she stopped bearing. A couple of things with this, we can see that Leah continually thought that the way that she could fill this void in her life of being unloved was to produce something that her husband would then be, be draw, draw to her. And she continually tried to do that and kept thinking that that was the answer, that that was going to bring love, that that was going to bring what she needed. But at the end, she says, you know what? What I really need to do is just praise God for who he is says, the first three sons that she had, surely my husband will love me. Second, he's heard me because I'm unloved. The third one, my husband will become attached to me. The fourth one, this time, I'm going to just praise the Lord. Now, interesting, and we're going to go through and quickly cover all of the, the children that are born through this, this, these relationships, but the two that I want to draw your attention to real quickly, verse, the, the third son that was born, Levi, Remember from our studies on the weekend in Hebrews what, what the significance of the tribe of Levi is? It's where the priests come from. And for, uh, the fourth son, Judah, the significance of Judah, that's the royal line, the kingly line, and that's the line that Jesus would come from, from Leah, the unloved one. Well, as we move into chapter 30, it says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Here we have Leah, who, though we don't have specific details of this, we can kind of piece some things together just through, just through what, what transpired. Leah wasn't the attractive, beautiful one. Her younger sister was. And she was, the younger sister was the one that probably got all the attention from the guys. And the reason that they both weren't married yet is because Leah couldn't get a husband. And it took the trickery of her father to get them both married. All she wanted was to have a husband and to have love. And here we have Rachel, the other daughter, who had the love, had the husband, had everything that Leah wanted, and all she wanted was children that Leah had. Neither one of them content with the situation they're in, looking at the other one saying, I want that blessing. That's, the, that's what I want. And we can learn so much from that to quit looking at how God deals with other people and just be blown away by how he deals with us and how he blesses us. Because there are so many others that are probably looking at us saying, man, look how God is blessing them. And we miss so much of it because we're looking at how God is blessing others. Oh, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be in that ministry. I want that gift. Paul warns about that. Being jealous of other people's gifts. Use the gifts God has given you and you will be blessed. We also see in here, again, the, the bitterness and the jealousy that comes up in her, how she lashes out in the total wrong direction. 
Now when Leah says, I'm sorry, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she had borne Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's like, I'm not the problem. I got four kids. What are you coming to me for? It says in verse 2, he became angry with that. He says, Jacob burned with anger against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruits of your womb? Verse 3, she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees, and through her I too may have children. Now, here we have again a situation where we got more problems that are coming out of the relationship, this polygamous relationship. We have jealousy, we have bitterness. Now we have the, 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 the two fighting, husband and wife fighting over this. And in, instead of doing what they should do, which is go to the Lord and pray about it, and Jacob had an example of that in his father. Remember when his mother was barren and Isaac said, Isaac prayed and 20 years later she conceived? He had that. He knew that that was the answer. He knew that was the right thing to do. But instead of following that example, instead of praying and seeking the Lord together in it, they concoct a man-made plan. Here, here's what we'll do. I'll give you my servant. You'll have children through her and I'll call him mine. Again, God's ways instead of man's ways instead of God's ways. This was an accepted custom. We talked about this back with, with, with Abraham and Sarah. Remember when they did the same thing with Hagar? It was an accepted custom in the day. But just because it's an accepted custom doesn't make it acceptable for us. There's a lot of things that are accepted in our society as to ways to deal with problems that we, that we face, that we come up with, that are not acceptable to us as followers of God. Abortion. Divorce. Drinking. People go, ah, just, it's okay. It's totally cool. You're having a bad day. Everything, go out and get totally schnockered. Just have a designated driver. Then you're okay. That's what the world would tell you. But all of those are empty, deceitful lies. When the bottom line is we need to seek the Lord. We need to go to the Lord. Follow Him and where, where He will lead us. Can you imagine what, what could have happened if Rachel and Jacob would have gotten together and just sought the Lord in it? How much problem and heartache and headache they could have avoided through all of that? Well, it says that at verse 4, so she gave it to her, that he agrees with it. Jacob went into her, Bilhah conceived, and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she, she named him Dan, which means justice. And you can almost just hear the bitterness in her voice when she's saying that how sad she can't possibly be full of joy in this it's almost like a ah, i finally got her rachel's maid bilhah conceived again and bore jacob a second son so rachel said with mighty wrestlings i have wrestled with my sister and have deed prevailed she named him neftali which means wrestling she even named her son that that's how deep this bitterness has gotten inside of her when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as well. How quickly she slips back into the whole fracas here. She, she said, I will praise the Lord, verse 35, because I know where the, my, my joy comes from now. Oh, wait, my, daughter, my sister's got two kids. She's doing it this way. Aha, I have a maid. I can do that too. Crazy, you're right. 
So Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Leah said, how fortunate. Called his name Gad. Good, good fortune. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher, meaning happy. This turns into a productivity contest between two sisters. Can, I mean, again, I, I find this incredibly hard to believe, but it, it, it's, it's here. Productivity over jealousy over their husband. They're like, you know, okay, this isn't working. Here, you, you, you sleep with them. You have kids with them. Hmm. Now in the days of the wheat harvest, verse 14, Reuben, who is the oldest son, went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, mandrakes were the small, kind of almost like a strawberry-looking fruit, and they were thought to be an aphrodisiac as well as a fertility-type drug. So the, 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 he finds these things, and, and then Rachel says, hey, let me have some of those. Let me, let me have some thinking that would be the answer to her problem because, again, she's still barren. The two children she's had, she's had through her, her maid. Verse 15, but she said to her, Leah speaking to her sister now, is it a small matter that you've taken my husband? Why should you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So Rachel makes a deal again using Jacob. When he comes home, he can be with you tonight in exchange for the mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in that evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Jacob's got to be, you got to be kidding. I, God, yeah. God gave heed to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Oops. Rachel's plan backfires. She's thinking, I'm going to buy these, get these mandrakes, and it's going to work for me to have a son. The whole deal totally flips around. Leah has another son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband, so she named him Issachar, which means reward. Verse 19, Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with, the, with a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun which means dwelling. Leah ends up having six sons of her own, half of them through, through herself, two with her uh, maid. Afterwards, she bore a daughter named Dinah. Now, this is the only daughter that is mentioned by name. We, we're going to find out later that there were other daughters, but this is the only one mentioned by name. She plays a crucial role uh, later on in a couple of chapters. We'll read about that. Oh, boy. Uh, verse 22 then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. Verse 22 tells us it wasn't her complaining to Jacob that got it done. It wasn't her conniving and figuring out all these different ways that got it done. It wasn't the mandrakes. That happened years ago, or a couple, at least a couple years ago, and that, that wasn't it. It was God's plan, God's power, God's timing. And she conceived. Verse 23, so she conceived and bore a son and, and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, may the Lord give me another son. So here we have it. Finally, the prayer is answered. And it's like, okay, great. Praise God, I have a son. I want another one. What? This, this, isn't, this isn't enough. I, I, I want another one. 
The next son, she's going to call him son of my sorrow because in childbirth she died. Remember what she said in verse 1? Give me a son or I'll die. <laughs> Ends up that the birth of her second child, which we'll read about in a couple chapters, actually she dies during childbirth with that. How sad. How sad. I mean, we, we read through all of this stuff, and it's, and it's easy to get through this. We covered a whole lot of ground tonight, but the tragedy that we see in this is what a miserable life she led. We, we look at the life of Abraham and Sarah who were barren for all those years, but they, they loved each other. And, and you can read about 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, the love that, they, that she had with her husband, even though th- she was barren and they prayed to God and how they just were patient and waited on God and how it was blessed. Isaac, Rebecca, the same thing, waiting on God, pr- being patient, waiting. Where taking all these matters into your own hands and jealousy and bitterness and anger how miserable her life is, how tragically it ends. Well, that's all we have time for tonight, so we'll pick up there next time. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it and the, the stories that you record in their entirety. Lord, we, we see the joy, we see the sorrow, we see the pain. And in that, Lord, we can relate because there's so much of that that goes on in our own lives. Thank you for recording history exactly as it happened, Lord. And in it, again, we see our own lives, we see our own struggles, but we see that in these situations, if we trust in you, if we believe in you, if we have patience to wait on, on your perfect plan and your, and your amazing providence, in your timing, how we can be so blessed. Lord, we, we thank you for the promises that you give to us. Just as you gave the promises to Jacob that you would never leave him, that you would continually be with him, that you would make sure that your promises would come through, Lord, we can rest in that as well. Lord, I pray that changes our outlook as to how we go about our days, how we face difficulties and trials in our lives. Lord, I pray that you bless us on our, on our way home this evening, bless the remainder of our weeks. Lord, let us be an encouragement to someone else tomorrow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Oh, yes. Don't forget. Thank you. Don't forget. Stop by the Awana table on your way out uh, for the upcoming Grand Prix. God bless you now.